0: Well, if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to Matthew uh, 19. Like I said, that's where we're going to be. Um, we're going to be starting in verse 16 today. We'll swing back and pick up 3 through 15 a little bit later. If you need a Bible, there's some, uh, looks like today it's a gentleman coming down. I don't I mean, I use gentleman in the loose form of the word because I know some of them. But um, they're going to be having Bibles. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take that with you. Feel free. Um, use it, keep it as your very own. Uh, our, my only request is, is read it, spend time in it. It's, it's a book that transforms uh, lives. And so in the book of Matthew, though, like I said, uh, Jesus is setting things up where he's gonna start talking about his backwards kingdom. Now, one of the ways that he's gonna talk about his backwards kingdom, specifically this morning, is around this area of money. Now, one of the things that I've learned through my f- just over 50 years of life is that in general, within our culture, money is the passport to everything, isn't it? If you got money, you can get what you want. You can get power, you can get education, you can get access to power, houses, cars. In some ways, we think it gives security, stability. It's gonna make us happy. But in this, par- this story that we're about ready to hear today, it's gonna be a little bit different because we're gonna learn that actually money does the opposite. In Jesus's kingdom, let me just say this. You can open up all kinds of doors within our culture with money, but you can't open up the doors to the kingdom. Money does not work in Jesus's kingdom. Now, what he's gonna do today is show us by taking us to this guy that we call the rich young ruler. That's generally the way that he's referred to. The rich young ruler, we know that he is rich because we're going to learn that a little bit later. It says he has a lot of wealth. He's a ruler. We learned that in Mark and Luke. But it's this idea of this one that had a high position within culture. And not only that, but he's young, which means he probably, because he would have been Jewish, probably climbed the ladder of the Jewish world. That's where he would have been a ruler in that kind of a way. He climbed the ladder fast because he's young. He would have been a man maybe similar to like a guy like Paul who, who grows up through the system incredibly fast. And in this story, what happens all of a sudden is that this man comes and when he comes to Jesus in Mark and Luke, it says he comes running to him. And when he comes to him, he falls down in front of Jesus kneeling. Now, I grew up at a time in in ministry where the whole thing was within student ministry. If you win the captain of the football team, you can win the school. But if you look at it, Jesus never won the kingdom through inviting the popular people to what he was doing. In fact, Jesus always talked. Excuse me, Paul would always talk about this idea of such were some of you. You weren't the high people in position. You weren't those high in status. But yet here is this guy that comes and kneels before him. And I'm trying to imagine the apostles when they see it. They must have been like, "No way! It's the captain of the football team." Not really, but you know what I'm saying. He's kneeling before Jesus. We've found the face of our movement. This is the guy that's going to be able to come along with us. He's got money to be able to get us into places. He's going to provide security for us so that we can make ends meet. Everything about it, the apostles would have been in their back of their mind going, no way, he's coming to Jesus. And not only did he come to Jesus, but his question is the exact right question. He says to him in this way, teacher, what good deed or good thing or what good is probably the better idea that I must, must I do to have eternal life? That's the right question. If you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus, this should be the question that you're asking. What is it, what is it that must happen in order for me to have eternal life? Now don't, don't mistake this though, this eternal life thing is a little bit different This eternal life thing kind of in the book of Matthew is probably more speaking about, man, the ultimate end. It's not so much speaking about the length of life. In other words, that's generally how we tend to think of things as eternal being length. But this isn't quantity, this is about quality. You're gonna see throughout this, this man was coming up to me and he was going, Jesus, I've been trying to find the good life and I can't find it. I've been going after it with everything that I am within this Jewish system to try to get the good life and I'm looking for love in all the wrong places. I can't find it. I can't find it. You're going to see this, that he's done everything correctly, but something in this man's life was missing. Even that word have is important. That word have is explained differently in, Matthew, or in Mark and Luke as this idea of inherit. It, it, it kind of contained the idea of an inheritance to the new world of what God is beginning and this one where God is supreme. It's everything that humanity has longed for. He knew somehow in there that Jesus is establishing something in this life that they would longed for. He saw too many people healed. He heard too many stories about Jesus calming the wind of doing these incredible things. And he knew, Jesus, there is something about what you're doing I I want to be in on i want to have eternal life i want to inherit what you're offering you have it i know you do what must i do that's what he's asking it's what i see in so many people when they come and ask me questions they're they're looking for something they're trying to find what's underneath this life what is it that makes sense of this life You're going to see this as a theme all throughout this section. He's going to talk about it in verse 16, eternal life. He's going to talk about it in verse 17, Jesus enter life. Verse 21, how do I be perfect? Verse 21, treasure in heaven. Verse 23, kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, kingdom of God. Verse 25, saved. But in it, he's asking this question, what what good deed am I supposed to do? There's got to be something. Now, don't think about this sometimes like we do, maybe like if you're more of a maybe conservative evangelical where we're looking for good deeds to earn our way to heaven. That's probably not exactly what he was asking. The good that he was asking about would have had more to do with that particular time in the world in which he lived. He's asking a question about what sect of Judaism are you, Jesus? Jesus. Is the good that I'm supposed to do is to just spend my time knowing the Torah and investing my life into knowing what we sometimes call the Old Testament, just knowing and loving and, and understanding it. In other words, Jesus, are you a Pharisee? Or Jesus, am I supposed to use my money to, to, to grease the skids of power like the Sadducees that can somehow do something with the Roman government so that we can live at peace and that's gonna usher back the king? Are you a Sadducee? Jesus, are we going to go off to Idaho, Texas, Tennessee, South Dakota, to the desert, Nevada? Are we going to go off somewhere? Is that where you're going to take us and we're going to live this great life and, and usher back your kingdom? Are you an Essene? Jesus, are we supposed to go fight? Is that the good I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to go back with you and to take up arms and drive out the Romans? Are you a zealot? What, 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 what good am I supposed to do? Jesus, just tell me. I know you've got eternal life in your hands. What am I supposed to do? I think that's what a lot of people ask. It's probably even some of you, if we're being real honest, you're asking the question, how do I find this thing life? I'm looking for it. What's crazy is he'd probably been doing it his whole life. I'm imagining in some ways he was tired. He just wants to find the answer. When did I love what Jesus does to him? Jesus was the ultimate teacher. Standing in front of him now or kneeling in front of him in that moment, like some people would have said, okay, here's what you got to do. You have to believe that Jesus died, was buried, rose again. You need to say a prayer. And after you said the prayer, all is good and follow us. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus looks at him, and I love this first question. Why do you ask me about what's good? See, that word good that he's toying around with, he's kind of saying to him, you know, you kind of have a little bit of a careless language problem here. See, good isn't in us is what he's trying to say to him. Like anybody that ever says, you know, people are basically good. How can you say that? Read the news. Well, I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about babies. I've had over 20 of them through foster care. All of them, I realized they were evil. <laughs> Inside of humanity, the idea is, is that nothing is good well maybe i can get it from somebody out there no you can't even get it from somebody because the only one is good is jesus's point here is god you can't earn good you can't manufacture good you can't somehow coerce good from other people because they don't have it in them the only one within himself who has good is his point here is god so his point kind of in this is like let me correct your theology a little bit And then he says to him this, okay, if you want to do something, if you want to enter into life, well, keep the commandments. In other words, do what I've been asking you to do since Moses. No, but there must be something special, Jesus. No, do what I asked you to do. Well, but shouldn't we? No, do what I asked you to do. I mean, there's so often when, like, I don't know how to be you parents or maybe you've, you've parented in the past, right? You've told your child to do something and they do something else. And they're like, look what I did over here. And you're like, I didn't ask you to do that over here. I've asked you to do this, do this. And on one essence too, just understand this. Jesus is kind of setting him up a little bit. Just do the commandments. Anybody that knows anything about the commandments knows you can't just do the commandments. There's an impossibility to it. There were 613 commands. But somehow in it, this guy, and you're going to see this in here, Jesus is kind of just reeling him in. And I love his first statement. Which one? (laughs) Can you help me understand, maybe narrow it in just a little bit. What's Jesus doing? What's he doing there? Well, see, at that particular time, okay, he would have known now, okay, so he's very big into the Torah. This would be the guy's thinking. This Jesus guy's big into the Torah, so he must be a Pharisee. That must be his leaning. And every single Pharisee out there had this idea of the 613 commands, what was the one that was most important, the ones that were kind of that we were supposed to go after. So he's going, what kind of a teacher are you on one end? But I think he's also saying, seriously, dude, I've been hearing that my whole life. So, which ones? I've been trying to do all 613. I'm just tired. Which ones? Now, in some ways, Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men, and Jesus is fishing here. He throws the bait out, and now he's just doing this, and he's just watching. Now, I love what Jesus does here. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll give you the ones that are most present to be seen. And he gives them the last, basically the last six commands of the 10 commandments, the, the Pentateuch, Watch what he, or, or excuse me, the, the, the Decalogue. It says, Jesus said, verse 18, "'Well, you shall not murder.'" you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and kind of the 10th the command of coveting, he kind of ties together with Leviticus 19, and he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what I've called you to do. He gave him a list of kind of observable things to do. He, he kind of was saying to them, the, the, the first four are God word. I'll come back to that in just a little bit, but in, in these, what I want you to do is do the ones that kind of people can see. Do those ones. Now, in the back of his head, he's probably like, you know, Joe over there will tell you, I've been doing these things my whole life. Larry, Fred over here, they've seen me. I've taken care of these things. In fact, the way that he says it is, is I've kept these things since I was a kid. I've been doing it. Now, on some levels, you've got to just let him be human. I think there's a lot of people that grow up inside of the church that feel the same way as this guy. I've been going, man, I've been attending your services, dude, for I don't know how long. You're not as funny as you think you are. You're definitely not smart. You're trying to figure it out. Dude, you've got issues, and I'm still coming back wondering, why am I even here? I think he's just sitting there. I've been in this system for years and years and years. And in that time, he now says, what do I still lack? Jesus, I'm not settling for that. There's something more here. There's gotta be something more. I remember kind of for me, I'm one of those people that grew up in and around the church and and, uh, a lot of great things about growing up around the church. I always tell people as a former youth pastor, there's a blessing and a curse to growing up around the church. The blessing is you're around God's word, you're around God's people, you're around God's spirit. It's a wonderful thing. The curse is is you can just become numb to it. I remember by the time I was in high school, I was ready to go to college. I was ready to go figure out life and all kinds of different things. But I remember in all those things that I went after, the accolades, the achievements, the different things that I went after, I remember being in a bathroom in Las Vegas, Nevada on March 19th, 1993, and going, Is this it? Is this it? And I think this is where this guy is. Is this is this it? There's gotta be more. I even wonder if at this time, all the people around are just sitting there feeling maybe a little bit similar to this guy. They're waiting for Jesus to tell him this secret thing, this special thing that's supposed to come out. And that's what he's doing. I've been there, done that at this point. What's doing? I'm not, it's not working and one of the things that I love in Mark, he says this statement, and Jesus looking at him, look at that statement, loved him. I came back from Las Vegas, and one of the guys that I met with was a guy named Pat. Pat was a man that um, he was, Some we were connected, I don't, our dads I think in some way coached football or something together and he went to the same high school I went to high school and somehow we kind of found each other and I remember as we were sitting across from each other and I told him this I said man I've tried everything I have pursued everything that I can in sports academics I've partied I've done all these different things to try to find the end of it and I just can't find it there's got to be something more and I remember Pat looking back at me and he said what if the very thing that you want Life you can't have until you drop those things that you're pursuing to try to find your identity in apart from God. He said, Todd, those are called idols. And he said, the funny thing about idols, and he quoted this guy named Calvin who was alive a bunch of years ago. He said, these, they, they come from within us, these idols, these things that we think are gonna protect us, serve us, and I had, I mean, in a lot of ways, sports was kind of my way to find my identity. My parents, we had different jobs, and so I'd go from you know, town to town in different ways in this metropolis called the state of Wyoming, more cows than people. But every town that we'd go to, the one key that I always had was sports. I was generally faster than a lot of people, could shoot a ball through a little metal rim better than most people. I was great at turning left around a track. But whenever I needed like that place to find, sports was kind of that thing for me. And I remember Pat saying to me, he said, what if that thing, sports, is the very thing keeping you from Jesus? See, all of you parents that are putting your kids into kids' sports, and they're, they're a good thing, they're great. But eventually those suckers can become idols. And the very thing that you're doing that you think are gonna help your child actually can be a thing that can cause them to have idolatry one day and miss the point of the greater, which is Jesus. We are not raising great athletes. We're seeking to raise disciples of the king. But in that moment, I remember kind of holding sports like this and realizing in order to embrace Jesus, I needed to put it down. But here's the thing back to Jesus loved him. I love the fact that when I was in the midst of that decision, Jesus loved me. Gosh. He loved me. He loved you. And here's where this young man is. Now, on so many levels, when this story started, man, I just wanted it to be a great end. I wanted to be able to tell you, and the person that this was was the apostle Paul. And later on, he leads the greatest mission movement of all time. Some church scholars actually believe this could have been Joseph of Arimathea, but we don't know who it is. But Jesus now looks at him, and he's gonna take that finger, and he's gonna put it right on his idolatry. He's gonna say, okay, if you wanna be perfect, here's what you do. Go sell whatever you possess Give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. His point off of being perfect is, is do you want to know the reason that God, that God created you? Do you want to know why God created you? That word perfect doesn't mean perfect like we're trying to be you know, these, this great moral person. The idea is, is, do you want to become the person that God intended you to be? The outcome, that's what this word means. It means the, the intent of God within your life. Do you want to be that person? That's what he's saying to this young man. Is that what you want to be? And in some ways, he's putting his finger on his idolatry. He didn't do this with Peter or Andrew or James or John. That wasn't their issue. In other words, if Pat would have sat me down and put his finger on my life and said, Todd, I want you to sell everything you have and follow Jesus, I would have been like, that's cool. All my stuff can fit in one car. And it was a Chevy Citation. You want me to give that up for Jesus? Jesus, it's yours. That wasn't my issue. That wasn't James's issue or John's issue or Peter's issue. But that was this man's issue. And he put his finger there. He gives a series of commands, which one, he just puts it in there, is go. Sell what you possess. I don't think he's teaching like a form of communism or Marxism. I don't think that's all what he's talking about. He's, just, he's putting his finger on his life. A lot of people have actually taken this verse and said, see, communism is correct. No, it's not. Give to the poor. And I love this one come and follow me. Do you want to be who you're intended to be? That's what you're going to do. Now, on some levels, aren't you just sitting there going, go, dude. Come on. Just let go of the idol. It's like those monkey traps. You know those monkey traps where you put the thing inside the jar and they go in and they reach for it and they try to pull their hand out? And you're like, let go of the nut. Or maybe some of you that are a little older. You remember like in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Anybody remember that? And they're sitting there, Sean Connery, his dad, you know, going, Indy, don't. Grab my hand, you know, and he's reaching for the chalice. It's just this thing where you're like, don't grab the chalice. Hold on to your daddy's hand, please. But in this moment, we're going, dude, drop the idol. Just drop it. For those of you that aren't followers of Jesus, let me just say, I don't know what your idol is, the very thing that you hold on to as far as your identity, but I'll say what Pat said to me. Let it go. Let it go. No, I'm dead serious. You cannot have life eternal like Jesus is talking about and hold on to your idol. You can't. See, whenever you look at this and whenever Jesus kind of flows through this, like in Matthew 6, he talks about this idea of you you can't love God and money. You can't. The two are in contradiction to the other. You either love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. You can't have it that kind of a way. Jesus is saying to this young man, I will not play second fiddle in your life. And by the way, this is a loving thing for him to do. See, the intent for which humanity was created was to know God and love God and follow God. And anything else that sneaks in, that gets in our way of knowing and loving, following God is an idol and it needs to be removed away. And so this is what Jesus is saying. You can't have that young man. You have got to drop it. If you're going to embrace me, drop it, let it go. And again, we're going, dude, let it go. I think in it, what he didn't see, which is what also spoken about in 1921, is this idea you'll have treasure in heaven. He didn't see that. See, in that day when Pat was talking to me, I remember him talking about the greatness of God and what he's doing in the world and sharing with me different things. And all of a sudden, and and we'll talk about it here in a little bit, I saw the treasure I saw the reality of King Jesus who is reigning and ruling over all things. I didn't see it perfectly. I was still infinitely trying to kind of understand what was going on in the world. But I saw enough to know that everything that this world that I'd gone after, everything that I tried to grab a hold of, everything that I thought was going to make me happy, everything that was going to bring me the good life, at the end of the day, everything about this life just caused me to go, there must be something more. What else is there that's out there? There's got to be something. And all of a sudden, for the first time, it began to make sense in my life because I saw the treasure. And the treasure wasn't a thing. The treasure was a person, Jesus. In some ways, I wish, to, for those of you that are not followers of Jesus right now, I wish I could, in some way, peel back your eyes to see the greatness and glory of Jesus. Jesus. Right now, he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven with angels all around him screaming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. Right now, he sits enthroned in heaven and those of you that are worried about what's going on in this world, and I get it, it just seems to be so discombobulated. Jesus Christ is not in heaven going, oh my gosh, Father, what are we going to do? Do you have any good ideas? I'm running out of ideas. He's reigning. And it says when he returns, he's bringing his reward with him. And it is that life that we have longed for. You know that life. And this week, when I was reading the news, I was just sitting and I started like imagining what is the world going to finally be like when there's no more war, when there's no more crime, when there's no more death and no more heartache. When finally we can live, and the bigger issue is is when finally we can live in such a way that we were intended to live. The thing that every religion out there is seeking for that never can because they're missing the point. Every philosophy is searching for it, but they can't because they're missing the point. Because the point is not an a thought, it's not an item, it's not some false God. The point is King Jesus. And Jesus is standing in front of him saying. In essence, it's your money or it's me. You can't have it both ways. And the statement that haunts me is when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful in pain. And here's the statement, because he had great possessions. I can. not that's where my identity is, Jesus. If that's what it is, if that's the idol I need to put down, I can't put that idol down because that's how I grease the skids of power. That's how I, I, I make myself happy with the group that I run in. That's how I, I do what I do. I, I can't let go of this and he knew that he couldn't. And this story that started out that you're just hoping would end up so good ends in pain. And so that's why I'm looking at all of you right now that don't know Jesus and I'm just saying this. What is the thing right now that's keeping you from following Jesus and are you willing to lay it down? And we'll talk about how here in just a little bit. Now Jesus teaching, he has all the guys there and he kind of looks at them, verse 23, and he says, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, listen to me, that idol is never going to get a man. For me, like I said, my idol was sports. I don't know what your idol was, but you can't drag that into the kingdom. It's the upside down kingdom. It doesn't work that way. In fact, the next statement, verse 24, again, I'd say it's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person enter the kingdom of God. It's not talking about that there used to literally be an eye of the needle in the gate uh, in Jerusalem. That's a canard that got disproved. He's just talking about the fact it's impossible. It's like when pigs fly. It's impossible. That man's idol, whether it's richness, whether it's sports, whether it's whatever it is, that very thing, it is impossible impossible for you to enter the kingdom and to hold on to that. It's impossible. You can't. Well, but there's got to be a different way, right, Todd? No. He says it's absolutely impossible. Now, just for a second, imagine those guys sitting there going, no way, that's the rich young ruler. That's the dude that was good looking. That's the dude that had it all. That's the dude that was high up in, the, in, the, in the, the, the teaching kind of group that he used to be a part of. That's the group that's rich. That's the guy that has everything. He's the guy that's been keeping the law since he was a little kid. If he can't make it, then in the back of their heads, they wanted to know, then who can be saved? Jesus who? If that dude can't, then who can? And I love Jesus this moment. See, not only was he fishing with those other dudes, he was also fishing with them. Jesus, who can be saved? And I love this statement. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are what? possible. He's not talking about, oh, dear Lord, as I come to put my money into to win the lottery. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. <laughs> Praise be. He's not talking about that. See, because everything that Jesus has been talking about up to this point is the impossibility of the kingdom, but the possibility and the only one that can happen is what he keeps hammering over and over and over and over again, which is the only way in is to have a changed heart. That's it. It's the promise of Ezekiel 36 and the promise of Jeremiah 31 that I will take out that old heart, that old heart that loves idols, that old heart that goes after all of these different things nonstop every day that can't find its end, and I wanna put a new heart in there that is designed in such a way that you will understand that the fulfillment is not in the pursuit of things but in a person, and that person is Jesus. And all of you in here, let me say to you this, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to get this, is the day that your heart gravitated to see the greatness of Jesus was not because you were smart, not because you were part of the right group, not because you somehow had figured things out, it's because a miracle was done in your life in which God took your old heart out, put your new heart in, and suddenly you went, Jesus, because it is not in us, it is in Jesus Christ. We don't come into the kingdom because we're smart. And so all of us that sit there and look around and go, what's wrong with this world? Oh, they're so bad. What happened to this world? Should be going, oh my goodness, what happened to me? Instead of pointing out there, we should be going, no way. God, you've given me a new heart. You've stirred within me now the capacity to see you. It should be why we share with people, man. I love the fact that it's not my job to save people. I just share with them the good news of Jesus. I can't save them, but God can change their heart. And so we can sit there, we can throw seed out to people and just trust the fact that it is not me that changes hearts, it is God that changes hearts. And so today, if you're in this room and you're sitting there going, wait, Todd, I've got a problem. You said that it's impossible, but if it's impossible, how am I supposed to do it? I would say to you, let it go. I can't, let it go. But Todd, you told me I can't. I'm asking you to do the impossible because with God, all things are possible. Put it down. If you've never bent the knee to King Jesus, make it today. But let me, let me tell you one other thing for the rest of us in this room that know Jesus. See, here's the thing, though, is that Jesus is never done messing with our heart. Because he might deal with one idol when we first come to know him. But you know, we've got all kinds of idols going on inside of our hearts. And even as I studied this this week, it was so fascinating. I'm sitting there going, oh, I can't wait to bring this to the people. They need this. Oh, it's going to be so good for them. Oh, Lord, aren't they blessed to have me to bring them this? And you know, when you do that, God's like, "Mm mm-hmm. And I remember him just taking his finger in my life on Tuesday and going, we need to talk about some idolatry in you. I'm like, no, 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 Lord, for them. For them." I'm a holy man. I'm a vicar. I'm a man of the cloth. No, Todd, you. And here's the question I'd have for the rest of us in here that know Jesus. What's the thing in your life right now that Jesus is putting his finger on that you need to deal with? For me, it was in one essence, I was refusing to say forgive me to somebody. On another end of it, I was refusing to go to somebody. And I remember Tuesday, just Jesus going, no, we're gonna gonna talk about that. Person that I was talking to this week, for him, he's had a secret for a bunch of years. And I'm looking at him, and he's like, I cannot tell people. Nope, I can't. I can't confess that sin. And I'm looking at him, going, Put it down. Put it down. I can't, and I know you can't. With you, it's impossible, but with God, what? Deal with your sin, dude somebody else they came up to me and they wanted to meet with me about what's going on in the world and i said put it down well no you don't understand if if i watch it again whether you watch fox or cnn or msnbc or i don't know cartoons whatever you watch (laughs) you do realize you have zero control in the world on that right I seriously doubt the Palestinians are gonna call one of you up and go, dude, I saw you were on the news the other day. We've decided actually to forego everything and change everything because you were watching CNN. Let it go. I'm not saying don't pray, pray. You can't solve world peace. That's why Jesus came. He's the Prince of Peace. You're just you. <laughs> you get that, right? Let it down. I can't. If I don't watch it 10, 11, and 12, and also catch news sites on the website, the world will stop revolving Dot. Let it go. Let it go. That's an idol in your life. I don't know what your idol is right now. But I think Jesus is wanting to deal with you. So we're going to end this way. If you need prayer, I'm going to be up over here with a group of people. We'd love to pray with you. If you're somebody that doesn't know Jesus, and today you're at that point where you're saying, you know what, I'm done for looking and trying to find and going down all these avenues. Todd, I believe that the only answer is Jesus and I'm gonna do the impossibility of putting something down because I believe with God all things are possible. That's because God has changed your heart and today I would say this, welcome to the family. But we'd love to talk to you. If there's an area of your life right now that you know the spirit of God is putting his finger on, we would love to pray with you through that. And just the last thing, let me say this that on one level, this seems upside down. But we're about ready to sing a song because we need to be reminded. Jesus reigns, okay? And you're like, Todd, you say that all the time. I know, I'm gonna say it until we get it. Jesus reigns. He's in control of all things. He might have been the humble servant, but he is no longer that humble servant like we think. He is enthroned above and so even as we get ready to leave today, we're going to sing a song that is singing about the kingship of Jesus. And so I'm going to have all of you stand up. So stand up. Come on. Okay, Todd, kingship of Jesus. No, get up. Come on. You're a little slow. Let get up here quicker. It's on you. Oh. But as we sing today, regardless of your issue, Regardless of that thing Jesus is putting his finger on. He is able. The moment you're right now sitting there going, I'm not going to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. Jesus is able. Are you with me? And so, Father, help us right now. Help those that don't know you to know you. Help those of us that have that thing that needs to be dealt with. Help us to have the power to deal with it. Father, thank you so much that in spite of our inability, your ability has opened the eyes of so many in this room. Thank you so much that that people in this room that know, love, and follow you, their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you so much that you knew us before the foundation of the world. Thank you so much that you sent your son to die for us, to bring us into your family, to make us of your very own. Thank you so much, Father, that you're not afraid to call us sons and daughters of the King. Thank you so much that we have an inheritance that's imperishable, that's set aside for us until the coming of Jesus when it will be established. Thank you so much, Father, that you don't have a future for us that's unknown. You have a future for us that's fully known, in which you will reign and rule over all things. And I pray for everybody in this room, Father. Would you take us and make us a group of people that don't find our hope in this world, nor in the things that are in this world, but help us to find the hope that is true, the hope that is found in you and you alone. May your son return. May your kingdom be established. May your people forever be ones who are satisfied in your son, Father. Do a powerful work in this people and all God's people said.